Hey, dealmakers, welcome to the show where it's all about financial freedom with real estate. Let's do this. You're listening to the Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing podcast, hosted by Garrett Lynch and Michael Blanc, where we talk all about how you can achieve financial independence through apartment building investing. Whether you're just starting out or you want to scale your syndication business, this is the show for you. Today's show is Ed Hermson. He's been on on here a couple times more. It seems like every couple of years we we hook up with him and we talk about, actually pick on him a little bit in this episode because he took some time off between his first and second deal. And I surely wanted to know why and what made him come back and what he was struggling with during that time. And he has also resisted in raising money. He's been self-funding deals. And of course, if you don't raise money, the deals are smaller and they take longer. So I pick on him about, about that as well. So it's going to be a, a fun little episode. Plus, He's gotten into RV parks and we've never had anybody on with RV parks. So I asked him some some questions about that. And you're going to be really interested in, in all these things here. Before we get to that, I'm going to give a shout out to Rod uh, on Amazon who left a review on the yellow book. He said, this is a good book for beginners. Reading it has given me a good start. I'm clear the path is set. It's exactly right. The book is called Financial Freedom with Real Estate, the same title as this podcast. And it is an exact, a perfect book to give you insight into what it's like to get started with apartment buildings, even if you don't have any experience or a million dollars in a bank. So if you have not checked it out, check it out on Amazon. And if you have read it, we'd love to have a review from you. Maybe we'll shout you out on the show as well. Always want to do success stories. We're constantly on social media and with our own students and asking, hey, have you done a deal? Have we helped you in a significant way? And this week, Andrea Foley, we know, closed a 32-unit deal in Craig, Colorado, $700,000. They're putting $300,000 into the uh, property and Andrea is working with us. And uh, so this is a great first deal for, for her. So congratulations on her first deal. As always, if you are interested in working with us, check it out at themichaelblank.com forward slash call and just set up a call with us and see what that's all about. We'd love to have a conversation with you. On the other hand, if you don't really want to become actively involved in, in real estate, but you want someone else to do it, we'd love to be that someone else. We'd love to be your operator for you. Just go to nighthawkequity.com. That's our investment company and schedule a call with us. And you'll talk with our team about some upcoming opportunities in multifamily and real estate. So we'd love to have that conversation with you. And with that, let's bring on our co-host, Garrett Lynch. What's going on? What's up, Michael? So one of the issues that we're seeing right now is since the beginning of the year, the sales volume has been has been down so much. And it was a feeding frenzy last year we saw a gap. We have a significant gap right now between what buyers want. They really want the prices from last year. And sellers are like, well, no, the market is quite a bit different right now. And there's a gigantic gap. I think I read in Wall Street nationwide in the apartment space, there's about an 11% price gap. And based on the region, that gap could be a little more narrow or a little bit wider. But the point is that has been at the root of the problem of being able to find deals right now. So where are we right now in this gap? Is the gap widening? How long will it take? What's going so, to happen, Garrett? Yeah. So what I'm seeing, so we're, we're looking at deals every day, underwriting deals, talking to brokers, you know, keeping up with the markets, reading, reading about the economy, all these things. So what we're seeing now, well, what we saw prior is there's always this gap that was going in and out and it made it very difficult all the way since when COVID happened to get deals done. Right when COVID happened, the gap was insane. And not only that, banks were locked up. We've seen different cycle, part of the cycles where we are not getting deals done for a number of months. 
And it's it's likely because that this gap has has shown itself. But right now in 2023, the gap has never been wider. Since the beginning of the year, I did I did a check-in with one of the brokers uh, at Cushman. They said that Cushman's sales were around 11.9 billion in 2022, which was still not an, like an amazing year to be doing deals. And this year in 2023, it's only at 2.5 billion. So it's down quite a bit, 85 to 90% on transaction volume, just in general across the nation. So what's happening right now is we're seeing this gap. It's gotten wider. It's starting to now come back in the other direction, but it's due to seller distress. People are seeing the writing on the wall with their, their variable rate loans. And they're like, you know what? Let me get, let's try to get something back for these instead of nothing. And let's, let's just sell. And, and so we're not quite there. The wave, I think there's going to be a bigger wave next year. But the, the reality is, is that we're already starting to see some of that where there are some motivated sellers coming to the table, willing to take a lick on a deal that they did that didn't go right. And they just want to get out and get something back. And so that will increase. That's where I think the gap squeezes. These, these people are not going to be selling because they're, they're going to be making a bunch of money. Most likely there will be some of that. But it's mostly going to be because people are trying to get something back instead of 100% loss. Yeah. So after COVID, the gap closed quite a bit because once people figured out that people are still paying rents, the market kind of sprung back within like three right. months. And 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 that is not happening right now because, well, interest rates are still where they were, you know, three, six, eight months ago, right? So they haven't come down. So there's You're really nothing that's, that's normalized. Exactly right. So this is why people always ask me, is this maybe a great time to sit on the sidelines and wait? And I'm like, why? I mean, Garrett, you just said we're looking at deals every day. If you, Here's the thing. You can't time the market. Well, you can certainly try, but you're going to fail, right? Because you would only know what you just told me if you're actually underwriting deals, right? You you wouldn't know when the stress is coming if you were actually underwriting deals, right? Because by the time it hits the paper, someone else already too bought late. it. It's too late, right? Yeah. It's too late. So this is why we're not sitting waiting until the market quote corrects, because by the time that happens, it's already too late. We would have will have missed deals. And so if, if you're doing the consistent work, you're going to be right there in the forefront. And when, when stuff starts to come in the other direction, you're going to be able to pick something up right away because you're, you've been practicing and you've been in, you've been involved. So, so brokers are going to know to come to you right away or owners that you've built relationships with are going to come to you when it's time. And that's, that's a real, the timing could not be right for months and months. And all of a sudden the owner's like, you know what, let's just do this thing. Yeah, that's right. So if you're already uh, in syndications yourself, you know, just keep doing it. Don't don't give up. Keep underwriting deals. If you're thinking about you're on the fence about starting, then now's a great time to get started because now's the time to get your training, education, surround yourself with strong team of advisors, and 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 just build your team so that you can be ready. Because I do think there's going to be amazing opportunity, and gosh, I, I want to be ready for it as well. So. Yeah, so keep on underwriting deals, get started in the game, and now is a good time to do that while it may be a little more challenging to find deals right now. But you want to be there when those deals come back. So let's get into our interview with Ed Hermson here. Again, he's been on the show a couple of times, was uh, Podcast 48 and 225. And I pick on him a little bit, like I said earlier, just because I, I know him fairly well and I can pick on him a little bit. But you know he's had a lot of limiting beliefs along the way. Now he's built a, a impressive portfolio of multifamily properties, and he's gotten into RV parks that he talks about unbelievably profitable and not nearly as competitive. And but you know it took him a long time to get that second deal done. Why? I mean, what was he struggling with? How did he? How did he fix it? How did he fi fix that 
you know, he's not raising money. Why? What's holding him back there? What does he need to do to get back on track? So we talk about that as well. And you may actually, you know, you may relate to some of those issues. So let's get right into the, the interview with Ed. Hey, Ed, welcome to the show today. Hey, thanks. Thanks, Mike, for having me. <laughs> this is cool. Yeah, we we had you on the on the epi- on the podcast a long time ago, episode 48, where we talked about your first deal, the 22 unit, and it was super cool. And then we had you on 225. I looked this up and we talked about some of your struggles that that you you went through and you know, you've done a few deals in before between episodes and you've done a whole bunch now since then and it can be great to get an update but tell us really really quickly kind of what what does your portfolio look like right now and, and I know you're in a couple different asset classes where yeah. where are you right now yeah so i am yeah like you said i'm a couple different asset classes i have pretty much sold all of my single family. I have one like little three unit I'm going to keep forever just because it was an amazing property, just something you never forget. So one of my first ones, I've kept that. I do have four apartment buildings ranging from 22 to 100. I haven't got much bigger than 100. And then in the last two and a half years, three years, I've purchased two RV parks, one in outside of Dallas, Texas, and one outside in the Blue Mountains of North Carolina. So those are my kind of my two recent I guess, purchases. So although so many people get started with single family house investing. Can you can you share with us two things? One, why did you do that? And why did you switch to apartment buildings? Well, so I was a mortgage guy forever, right? We got in the mortgage business right out of college. I saw how people were buying rental properties and I was like, okay, this sounds like something I guess I should be doing because I'm in real estate and this is what I should be doing. So 26 years old or 24 years old, I, I bought a property, lived there for a year, bought another property, lived there a year. So that was kind of the, that's how the rules worked in mortgage banking back in the day. It's still that way that, you know, you can't treat as your primary and you get a less down if you live there for a year. So that's what I did. I built up seven, eight properties up here where I live in Northern Colorado. And then I got to that point in my life where, okay, I'm making 150, 200 bucks a month. And oh, guess what? Then a unit has some repairs. Oh, great. Okay. So I'm really not, I'm getting good tax deductions. Yay. And these properties are appreciating. Yay. But I'm not building up passive income. And then there's this guy, Michael Block, that came on. I listened to a podcast once and he was starting out with this new training process. So I, I told my wife, I'm going to invest with this guy and he's going to teach me. And I was one of your first students, if I recall, not like the one or two, but definitely in that first realm of that. And through your courses and through your studying, I, I was able to like, have that confidence of really, I think that's what it built for me, the confidence going in and talking to people in those spaces where normally when I first heard the word cap rate, I sat there and go, what is a cap rate? Like I I just know I bought a house and I make 300 bucks a month. I don't know what a cap rate. So just the education side was so important for me to have that foundation. Even though I was in mortgage banking, I still needed that to learn. So. It's amazing, right? You figure you're in a, in a related commercial real estate business. It'd be very, you're very, very comfortable. This is also probably a reason why a lot of real estate brokers never actually get started in real estate investing. It always puzzled me a little bit. Um, you just talked about that right now. Now, you were one of the fastest people ever to do a deal. And I remember, I think you got that 22 unit from one of your property managers, maybe you were talking to. And so, yeah. you know, combined with working with us at the time, you are already working with a mentor, it happened lickety split. And sometimes a little bit of luck in, involved, but you were simply working the system and, and setting up your team and you got a, a referral for this deal. But then, Ed, you kind of fell off the wagon. Like, how, <laughs> So how long did it take you to, the, to do that second deal? That second deal, 
I he's, think he's already hesitating. The, I can see. He's yeah. Already, he's hesitating. Yeah. 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 It probably was a good two years. Gosh. I, yeah, it was, you know, I think, I think, you know, I was still in the mortgage banking business at that time. I, you know, I think that consumed me a little bit. And quite honestly, I, I did not, you know, I felt track. Once I started, it was funny. Once, you know, you, you, you introduced the Miracle Morning book to me about, Really, in that second year, I didn't really know much. I was never a reader. I was always like, oh, I'll figure this out on my own. But once I kind of started in that process of like reading books and getting that accountability, writing things down, I was always kind of the guy that just like, let's just go. Let's go figure it out. There's some good qualities in that. But where I learned is like, man, now I'm like, you know, a leader is a reader kind of thing. I love that mentality. And just you introduced me to that, that process of the morning rituals really rocked my world because I was that guy that get up at, 7.30, have a cup of coffee, go to work, and never really had that me time, right? Spiritually, mm-hmm. setting goals and all of that. So once that shift happened for me, once I kind of got introduced to Miracle Morning, and you know, I started becoming a podcast junkie, just books. I was just consuming real in my journal. And that's where I was like, okay, I got to stop playing out of this realm. So that's that was that's my story. I learned you to know, come out of that realm. Hey, are you tired of the stock market volatility or feeling like there's more you can do with your money? Do you dream of owning your real estate but not sure where to start? Now, here's the thing. You're not alone about this, and it's not your fault. There's so many options out there from wholesaling, flipping, to landlording, and turnkeys. Like, which one should you do? Which one's right to you if you want to get into real estate? And the truth is, none of the things I just mentioned will actually make you financial free and put you on a strong financial footing. But not to worry. I have a solution for you, a new idea perhaps, if you're open to new ideas. And that is the following, that we have found that the number one way to fast track your journey to financial freedom, build wealth, and retire is through apartment building investing. Now, you're probably thinking, that's great, Michael, but I don't have the experience or the money to get into apartments. And the good news is that you don't need previous experience or a bunch of money in a bank to get started. And I can say this with confidence because we've helped so many people of all walks of life do the first deal, and become financially free. In fact, we've helped students close over $1.5 billion in real estate. Now, if you're skeptical, that's okay. Your skeptical's fine, but you're open to this new idea, then let's have a conversation. Go to themichaelblank.com forward slash call and schedule a strategy session to explore working with us like so many others have before you as well. We're really excited to guide you on this journey, and don't let fear or disbelief or what you think is possible hold you back. Remember, the only thing standing between financial freedom is action. And this is the one thing I want you to do right now is go to the michaelblank.com forward slash call and schedule that call with us. It may be the most exciting call that you'll have all year. Let's do this. Yeah, so what made you come back, Ed, right? Because you took this break and you did this, this took two years to do this deal. And obviously you must've started working the system a little bit before then. You probably didn't get your first deal the first day you tried and it fell into your lap. So what made you go back to actually taking or you know looking for deals again and making offers? Like what brought you back to that point? Yeah. I mean, for me, it was I wanted to get out of the mortgage business. I knew that, you know, I was kind of at that point in my life or doing it for so many years. I needed to get out. Again, the reading was a big place for me, listening to podcasts, you know, inevitably you listen to podcasts, you buy their book. That's just the way it goes, right? So I kept doing that and so many great folks in your space that I learned so much for. So that was it. And writing it down. I, I didn't, the, the power of writing something down is just, I can't explain it for me personally. It's, it's what helps me and drives me on many levels of my life is and being able to shift and change that too. So once I started writing things down and seeing it every day, creating a vision board, which I, I call it a battle board. Now I changed the name a little bit. And then just seeking out people 
in my areas that I wanted to get to know. And I tried to figure out what I can offer them. So that was always the game, right? It's like, what can I offer this person to hopefully them teaching me a little bit about their side of things. So that's in essence what I tried to do. And I was very fortunate to have those opportunities come my way. So generally, I mean, it takes people in the law, the first deal, you kind of had like a exception of the rule, but generally it takes people a while to get their first deal. Do you think it had anything to do with maybe, maybe you got it too quick, but you didn't actually implement them all the mindset skills that you needed to continue forward potentially. 100%. I, I was walking the walk. I could talk the talk. I was a mortgage guy, a real estate guy, so I could go in and, and then, you know, use a lot, the deal analyzer. And I was able to bring that into the equation. And these guys are like, oh, wow, he knows how to analyze deals. This is great. You know, and I kind of just rode that coattail for a little bit, basically. Well, that, and that's a key point is why does it take so long to get to the first deal? What's what's the reasoning behind it? And often it is the mindset of, of just being able to solve problems and figure out how to get to that finish. So this is just a prime example of how that's so important. And it's, it's a really cool story that you were able to go back and, and kind of figure that out by just diving into content, it sounds like. To yeah. get to where went. Did any part of you coming back to it have to do with the fact that you already own this asset, then you saw the benefits of it? Yeah, and you kind of... You know, you kind of go through that process too, where it's like, oh, it's only it gets the point out. We still have that twenty-two unit, but it's like, oh, it really didn't didn't create that financial freedom quite yet, right? So it was just like enough to like give me a taste. Hey, I was making a couple thousand a month. This is great, but yeah, it was just like, oh, I'm kind of content in the mortgage business, but I really wasn't. You're just in that kind of denialist. You don't know really what you want, and if you have that attitude in the morning where you're just getting up and going and not reflecting back and not being like, what do I really want in life? Because no one's really, you know, I've never really been a part of a mastermind. I think I'm going to join one this year, but I think if I would have had that in early my career, I probably would have been a lot more, but I still kind of felt like I'll just do it my own pace and didn't have accountability. And ultimately that's what led to this, this, this slower process. So. Yeah. Uh, How do you, another question, how do you define financial freedom and, and do you think you've gotten there? Yeah, I definitely have now. It's it's a position where I look at, you know, I'm kind of more of a, you know, dollar amount type of person. There was a number I was shooting for. And once I hit that number, I was like, okay, I know my fixed costs are X. And that's being the mortgage guy. That's kind of how I do my numbers. So that's, that's where I felt like, you know, I'm, I'm a big, you know, a follower of God and Jesus. So I always like, you know, that stewarding of what God has given me. Cause I feel like I'm renting everything. If I have that mindset too, that if I can keep that in my mind too, that, any of this could go away at any time, you know, any of us could get sick or hurt and things of that nature. So that's where I've kind of tried to live in that space. And that's been a real helpful process. So, you know, in our last interview a little while ago, you had obviously done that second deal. I can't remember if you, how many deals you had done by that point, but you had always been self-funding your deals. Now I'm curious about that. Ed, have you raised, have you syndicated anything since then? No, I have not. I've continued self-funding. <laughs> All right. Deals. All right. So yes. I'm, I'm curious. I'm, why why not? You know, I think back in the day when I was in the mortgage business, I felt there was a little bit of a, a conflict there. Like, because I was lending money, do I really want to get into a space? I didn't know the legalities. I didn't feel comfortable with that space of doing that. So now, you know, as I'm, you know, self-funding a lot of these deals, and quite honestly, I started seeing the numbers of like, oh, if I can get just Now, I will say this, on my last, I love partnerships and teams. 
So the last couple of deals I've done, it's always three or four guys. That's how I've done it. Always done. It's never been me solo. It's always three or four guys, right. Right. accountability in that style, and the groups in those styles work for me. But I've never been that guy because honestly, I did I did invest with one syndicator. I rolled over 401k. This was years ago. And I saw the amount of paperwork that you have to do on a syndication. It was like, my goodness, right? So I was like, okay, that, that seems like a lot of work. So I think that would be something I, you know, as I'm kind of slow down and everything's kind of cash flowing and doing well, I, I think a syndication, because there is a lot of people I run into, a lot of, you know, I'm in a big engineering town. So I have a lot of friends that are engineers and have large 401ks and always ask me to get on deals with them, but I have not. Just because I think the the legality scare me, quite honestly. You know, the, the steps involved in that process is one that is not very comfortable for me. So, so all right, let's let's talk about that for a second because this is not the first time I've heard this, Ed. So, you know, it's just like, hey, I'm uncomfortable with taking people's money, especially friends and family. I don't know the legalities of it, and so so let's let's talk about that for a second because a lot of people are maybe wondering the same thing. Now, obviously, for legalities, you are going to have an SEC attorney, right? You're going to have right. someone very familiar with it. And to what degree would that, you know, address some of your concerns about the legalities of it? And then the other one is the paperwork. Well, let's talk about the legality side, yeah. you know, getting yourself into trouble. Yeah, I think if, if yeah, if you had a great attorney that said, step, boom, 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 do these steps, then I'll follow those steps. I have never, and again, it's probably because I haven't seeked it out like I did when I seeked out people about investment property. I have not seeked out an attorney and say, Okay, I want to be this very turnkey. I don't want to have to be able to put myself in any position to affect one, my relationships, or number two, just, you know, there is still risk like anything else. And usually the risk is probably not in real estate. It's like, it's not that you're not going to get paid. It may, it may not be in six months. It may be nine months. You know, we know, we know that like certain things come up on property. So I think if I had a clear comfort level with a great syndication attorney, then yeah, I think that would be my big first step. If I can get that clear, understanding how the pricing works and making sure that I can go to people and understand that would be a very important component for me. Yeah. Now, is that, is that something you want to do? Because sometimes you try to solve a problem where, where there is none. I mean, you've already built yeah. a very sizable portfolio and you're like, yeah, you know, I got my couple of partners. I'm happy as a clam. You know, let's talk about, you know, do you even want to syndicate? And, you know, I mean, that's, that's yeah. before we try to solve the problem here. No, you know, I, is there a problem? Yeah, and I think, what I've learned about at least with the last couple of deals, especially with the partnerships, I like that winning and losing with people together. I'm sure you experienced mm -hmm. that too. It's like you have the highs and lows, but at the end of the day, it's like you share it together, even if it's not a fun conversation, but it's, there's, you know, whatever happens, especially the RV park world is a lot more, you know, more of a business setting per se than maybe an apartment building where it's a little more passive. You know, the key with me is, you know, we had some struggles with property management in one particular apartment building. And we all just kind of like trusted the property manager too much. Had we had someone more seasoned, even in our little group, they probably said, why didn't you fire this property manager like nine months ago? You're holding on and you're losing money. And now it's like night and day. You know, we have to go out and seek that new property manager. But I still am not sure syndication is the right move for me personally. But I want to help people. And I think at the end of the day, if I have that heart of like, I want to help you grow, and I'm going to take this amount. I'm getting more and more like, okay, Ed understands this industry. I, you know, I go to, you know, I, I celebrate my 50th today, by the way. Today's my 50th birthday. Huh. Well, so, congratulations. Yeah. Nice. So Saturday I had my big party and, you know, 
lot of my friends showed up. I did like an indoor golf thing and just talking to guys there. It's like, oh man, I wish I could be like you retired well, and, you know, working a couple hours. Yeah. So this, this is, this is a good point. And I think syndication is a win-win, right? Because it allows you to, to scale more and you're sharing the opportunity with people who would never be able to invest in real estate without you. Yeah. Like there's no way. Yeah. The, yeah. What's their options, right? Stock market, ETFs. Ugh. That's it. That's like gambling to me. That's yeah. like gambling. Well, see, well, there you go. There you go. So so I I find it is a win-win because it's self-serving on the one hand, because now I can do bigger deals. But on the yeah. other hand, you're actually literally helping people get out of the stock market into alternative yeah. investments, that cash flow of tax benefits, and they need you. Now back to the partnerships. I love partnerships because it's not a solo sport. It makes it more interesting for the reasons you so I, I like to combine them. I have the the joint venture partners, right? So now you're you're doing stuff together. It's fun, you're solving problems and you bring in outside investors. Yeah, that's really where I want to, I think I need to go there. And I think if I have that attitude, which I, I am generally wanting to help people succeed, we're probably, there was a little lack of confidence a couple of years ago in syndication where I felt like, am I that type of you know person that can deal with that? And at that time, I don't, again, probably because I was in the mortgage business a little bit too. And there was some, I kind of challenged my, stressed myself out right. a little bit. So. So Ed, let's assume I have you on here in another 100 episodes, okay? So yeah. let's say. All right, so what are you going to do between now and the next episodes? I'm going to hold you accountable, look at these notes and go, hey, Ed, uh, did you do those things? I I think <laughs> the next thing is reaching out to your team and finding a good syndication attorney, honestly. Nice. What, what that looks like, or at least some questions to help me find if I need to go local. I don't know. Do you need to go local? Do you need to sit down with an attorney? Probably not. But someone that's got a track record that it's turnkey for me that I can say, and then where does that money sit and some of those games there? And I think it is a time in my life where I am kind of have a lot of freedom, especially, you know, you know, a couple hours in the morning and I'm ready to rock and roll. Let's let's get some stuff going. So, yeah, I think that's my first step is getting into a good syndication journey, understanding those forms and processes. Yeah. So you're you're literally like one introduction or one phone call away from possibly moving and doing your own syndication. It sounds like. Anyone that's listening, I, I think you, you need it that hasn't done a syndication yet, or maybe they're struggling to get their next one. That literally could be the case for you as well. You're you're just one resource away from from overcoming that fear. Cause here's the bottom line: like when it comes down to like legalities and paperwork and all that stuff, right now, that's kind of an afterthought because we've got that dialed in so well. It's just like for us, so we've that's all we're doing is is syndications mostly. It's it's not even something I would I would even worry about, but you know, having that introduction and, and when you see it, you're like, oh, I get it. I get how this works. Oh, the paperwork is a couple clicks now because it's it's electronic. It doesn't doesn't yeah. mean but, yeah. but, but once but once you solve that problem, obviously you're gonna have other problems. And you you alluded to it earlier, which is the paperwork, yeah. right? You need someone to do the paperwork, right? So so you you brand need an investor portal to automate the process, right? You got yeah. you got you got things that need to get signed, PPMs that you get attract people, right? So this is when you go, Oh my gosh, how do I automate this stuff? Yeah. Right. Yeah, so for so sure. it's like it's one thing. But once you went and then maybe have a VA kind of helping the whole thing. But then once you solve everything, solve that side, now you're raising money, you know, one on one. And 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 once you've raised one on one, you're like, this is great. I've raised a million dollars. It was great. And then you're like, wow, shoot, how do I raise 10 million dollars? And mm-hmm. you can no longer raise money one to one. You have to now go online. Now, if you ever imagine Ed Hermson, you know, the private quiet guy becoming an, on, an online influencer. Right. It it may yeah. or may not it may or may not get there. But what I'm yeah. saying is if if you want to raise more and more money, which when you start raising money, you're like, this is really cool. I'm just gonna keep doing this, but I can't raise it one on one. Yeah. Then at that point you take to social media and online and, and it becomes just a different different ball game. But again, it's it's if you want to scale and you may say, Hey, shoot, you know, I'm happy with you know my thousand units and 
making $100,000 a month. You know, there's no need to scale right. it up. I, yeah. I think it's fascinating because I love learning all this crap, all this new stuff. Every time I, you know, get to a next, next level, I open this box and go, oh my gosh, it's so cool. <laughs> so yeah, I yeah that's it. exactly it. Yeah. No. And I will say I'm, I'm launching my first YouTube video on my campground. So, oh my, my gosh. Yeah. My son is, he actually was in the air force and he does videos for the air force and stuff. So he's helping me look professional and clean. So I'm launching that this week and I call it campground ventures and just, you know, nice. just want to educate people on that process. So yeah. So that could be my first coming out, I guess is what you're saying. I, I did yeah. do that. Yeah. I, yeah. I love it. Let me ask you about this asset class. Yeah. This campgrounds, this RV parks, I think specifically. Yes. Yes. You're getting Correct. into now. I don't know. And I, I saw a lot of RV parks around and these are not these big parks that have like a hundred you know, units. These are much smaller. They're much nicer. They have some some covers, structure, you know, your roofs, maybe a, maybe an air conditioned storage unit, maybe a deck. Like, I've never seen anything like it. This was down in Pensacola Beach a little while ago, and I thought that was very interesting. Tell us a little bit about what investing in RV parks looks like. Like, just pretend I know nothing about it. Like, yeah. I just want to learn it from the first time. Yeah, you know, we we you know, this again. My morning time, I started breaking down. Okay, I like these RV parks. You know, I had a friend who bought some man camps, is what they call them, right? The man camps were successful when the oil and gas business was going great. And he 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 was making very good money in that space. Then when the oil and gas left, he had these man camps out in the middle of nowhere, right? He, you know, Western Texas, right? Basically, who who goes there except people that have to do oil and gas. But I said, there is something there, I feel like. There is something there. You know, I always try to look at mobile home parks, but I see that space is very competitive. A lot of big hedge funds and companies that want to buy these up. So I looked at RV parks just because it was a little off the grid. It wasn't quite as lucrative because the financing is a little more tricky. You can't get Fannie or Freddie financing on an RV park because of the nature of the short term and the processes. They just don't have it. Now, you can get a, a USDA, which I'll probably do on a couple of these. It's a USDA, pretty good product they have. So I'll probably eventually get into that. But it's it, that was the biggest obstacle for me is once I got through the financing and then once I saw the the scalability of RV parks and meaning what I mean by that, Mike, is, you know, I looked at parks that were older and maybe had 48, but were on 45, 40 acres that I knew, especially outside of Dallas, I knew I wasn't going to lose because it was already full and there was no marketing done. Like there was no website. You call the number and it would just ring. I'm just going, well, no wonder this guy, you know, what the heck, you know? So there's a lot of very poorly mom and pop ran RV parks that don't even have websites. They don't have the ability to book online. You know, if you've ever booked on a, it's an Airbnb kind of thing, that same philosophy, you need to be that way in RV parks. Mm -hmm. So once I did my research there and found the software and systems, like this is, this is, this is something I could do. So going from, you know, from 48 to 75 to 212 spaces is huge. So, so you, you did this with one proper and you bought, had 45 spaces. You went to like 200 plus spaces. We are under contract now. We're at 91 now, and then we're building out in the next six months. Right now, we're waiting on some water, but we've infrastructures in. So yeah, we'll have 212 by next year at this time. Yeah. So you're able to use Airbnb, Airbnb types technology to automate the booking and things of that nature. Yeah. So those yep. experiences much more seamless like that. That is yep. that is really cool. Tell us a little, little bit, someone about the economics of, of this. Like, what are you buying? What you know? What are you putting into? Is it a value add component? What's kind of the cash cash flow? Yeah. Or the cash return. I mean. So everybody gets into the business like as soon as they hear this, Ed, and then all of the opportunity's gone. <laughs> of course. But you no, know, I think I think the big thing is, you know, location. Like, you know, I think I like being outside of a big city. 
a lot of the ones in Dallas, they're full-timers. They literally pull up their fifth wheel. And some of those guys have been there for two and a half years. The one when I, the one I bought in North Carolina, one guy's lived there 35 years at this RV park. I'm like, holy cow, right? So I do like the long-term mixture, that month-to-month kind of person. The kind of cool thing, I guess, from a landlord standpoint, RV parks, if they don't make a payment, I call them the next day and say, make your payment or you're gone. There is no eviction process. It's here comes, you better get out of here. I'm calling someone to tow you away. So that is kind of interesting, you know, from COVID years, right? Some of us that had some apartments there where people were taking advantage of us. So, so but, what, what are some of the, what are some of the down, the down, the reasons again, to, to some of yeah, the cons the, or the, challenges? The big, the big down is when anything you're going into any kind of infrastructure, construction, you know, in some areas in the country, especially they don't like RV parks. Okay. They're looked back as like, Hey, you know, we don't want these people doing drugs and all these other things right in our park or our area, right? They don't want to see that full-time, you know, a guy have a tent live in there, that kind of situation, right? So you've got to have clear rules and procedures of what type of RV you want, how long people can stay. I do background checks on all my people now. I was like one of the first ones to initiate that outside the Dallas area. And guess what? Now my competitors have to do a background check. So we do a background check, credit check, all these people, because I think, you know, ultimately you have to do that extra due diligence on your monthly stays, right? So to me, that's probably the biggest obstacle. And then dealing with things like water, dealing with local municipalities who want, you know, to tell you that you have to do X, X, and X. But again, that I have no problem hiring consultants on that. So I I turn over my consultants, they go do their work, you know, you pay them $10,000, but they get all these things done for me to make it look good. Fire marshals, those guys drive me crazy. They have they have so much power. They can really cause you just delay. So that hurry up and wait was a good thing I've learned too in, in RV world when you're trying to expand. It's like, get it done, but you still got to wait for somebody to approve something. So that's frustrating. There you have it. another way to make, uh, become financially free with real estate with RV parks. Ed, it's been fantastic. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Yes. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. And before I let you go, how can people connect with you? Yeah, you can reach me at hermsonrealestate at gmail.com. That's my uh, email address. And yeah, I'd I'd love to talk to anybody through that process for sure. So that's awesome. Well, it's always great to connect with you, get an update on you. And I'll check to you on at least 100 episodes, man, and see where you see where you are now. It's (laughs) going to be fascinating. So I'm going to come out to Dallas. I'm going to come out to Dallas and go to one of your big benches here coming up. So look forward to Having a beer with you or something. Let's do it. All right, Ed. Talk to you soon. Take care. It always fascinates me how important mindset is. And I think you pointed out, Garrett, in the in the interview, that mindset is really everything. And I never really used to pay attention to that stuff. I was a bunch of mumbo jumbo, right? It's it's all in the taking action, baby, right? That's all I did. Take action. You know, and for years I would take action in the wrong direction. I would start flipping houses. Well, that didn't get me there. I got into restaurants, so that didn't work out well for me at all. So just taking action can't take you there. Now, working on your mindset night and day and reading books and podcasts like Ed did for a little while, well, that's not going to get you there either. Okay. You really need a mix of both. And so you can't, and, and Ed is a little bit more of an action taker, which, which is, which is maybe great, but his mind wasn't in the right place. So he was struggling with some false beliefs, with some limited beliefs, and he's still struggling now. And here's the thing. I think we all struggle with mindset. It's just a different, different levels. And it just fascinates me. I think it's it's one of those things if you get your first deal so fast 
you you might look you might look around and be like, what's what's the silver lining behind what what just happened? Yeah, he, he got a little lucky in, in fairness. Yes, he was yeah, right, but 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 he didn't like you said, he didn't put he didn't really put the work into it, right? I mean, the average right. person has to work six months, six to nine months, let's say 12, 12 months to get that first deal. You build new habits, you grind it out a little bit, you're like, I can get through this, you know, you build a pipeline, and when something falls in your lap, you have none of those things. <laughs> <laughs> rarely does it fall on your lap so he he was just he was almost like a victim of his own success in that yeah, that's right in that's that form right. and, and at least it, even in my experience throughout you know my 13-year career i've seen it ebb and flow it's not always just a straight line you know a lot there's a lot of factors that could work in there but it's it's interesting that he did not until he turned on that mindset approach he already had the action built in until he found that and figured that out wasn't able to do anything with it that's just such a good lesson, at least from this episode, that you have to have both. <laughs> you have to absolutely you really do. You really um, do. I, I I think it's amusing that 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 the thing in his mind I was holding back from raising money is having a good attorney, right? Because you're literally a phone call away. Yeah. You do. You got you got to think about what that is for you. Of course, like if you're if you're stuck somewhere, that now it's like, like I said, that's like an afterthought for us. It's like what? Like I have we have the resources. We've been through it. That, I mean, that's pretty much like any problem in life. There's someone else that has already done it that can figure it out or help you figure it out. But think about this. If you had just had like a mentor or somebody that literally was like, that's the silliest thing I could have could have thought of here. Here's a guy, just talk to him. That right there is worth the price of admission, right? <laughs> if, that, if that's your hang up or whatever that is for you, right? So well, that's exactly, it's it's who, not how. There's a great book by Dan Kennedy, which I read before a long, long time ago. I'm rereading it now. Dan Sullivan, so yes. Dan Sullivan, Dan, Dan Kennedy, Dan Sullivan. Thank you. <laughs> and a, a great, a great book because every time you're stuck, the solution is always a who. It's never a how, right? You don't have time to figure out the how. Like, no, it's too tedious because there's a who already knows it or a who that can give you access. So it's in his particular case, it's simply an SEC attorney, right? But but then once you solve the problem, there's going to be others behind it. And how do you solve that? And 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 he's done it before. He's built a team before. He just hasn't built out a team in this particular case before, right? So it's mm -hmm. just simply continuing that. And it's just fascinating. I think the biggest thing is awareness. Like if, if in my mind, if, if I'm not growing, I'm dying. And if I'm not growing, well, why am I not growing? Is it, it, am I in my own way? Oftentimes, is it maybe, am I dealing with external factors? And that is, that's impossible. But why am I stuck? What is it? Is it something I can affect? You know, do I need to get in my own way? Do I need to bring in another who? I think the biggest thing is awareness. And, and, and many times I would say it's between your ears, right? It's like, it's just something that in your mind, no, can't be done or I can't do it. And you don't even try. And like when you talk to a mentor who's done whatever you want to do, they're like, oh, that's easy. It's super easy. Like you can do this. And then someone sells, someone now believes in you. And then you, if you around that person often enough, you start to believe in it in, in as well. And when you believe that, you then start taking action. Yeah. You know what? I really think that you're one potential connection or introduction away often from changing your complete situation. And I think that's maybe the case for, for Ed, but on any level that, that could be the case. And so just like you said, awareness, uh, uh, if that is your situation, how can I put myself in a, in a different arena or a different group where I can get those answers and overcome some of those things to the, the richest people in the world. And I've said this before, they just solve the biggest problems. That's that's really what it is, and so so whoever's solving the bigger problems, you can you can look at that almost directly and and say, oh, I see this person, Elon Musk is building 
rocket ships try to live on Mars. No wonder he's the richest guy in the world in some version of that. And, and look at how can I elevate myself to that that next level by by getting around people that are helping me solve these problems. Well, even Elon Musk, as I just read his biography right now, I mean, he kind of struck it big with a software startup that he was a part of, and he just sold it, what became PayPal, and he just made tens of millions of dollars. So even Elon Musk couldn't do what he does now without essentially financial freedom, right? At $10 million, $20 million, whatever he got was enough for him to basically do what he wanted for, for a while. And it, it, allowed, it allowed him to live into his full potential. But imagine him not being financially free. And this is why I think financial freedom is so important, because many times you having to work for a living literally stands in the way of your destiny because it's a matter of practicality. So this is why we do what we want to do, financial with free, freedom with real estate investing. And uh, like I said earlier, we'd love to have a conversation with you if you want to work with us to get into the game, do bigger deals, accelerate your results. But if you're not sure yet, we actually have a free video training ca class called Apartments 101. And it's apartments101.co. And it's four videos. It's totally for free and kind of introduce you. It's a shorter version of the yellow book. So it'll take you about half hour and you will know all about getting started with apartment buildings. That might be a great next step if you're new to the space. So with that, hope you guys were inspired today's podcast. Catch you next time. Thanks for listening. Take the next step toward financial freedom by checking out our Freedom Vault, where you can find free resources to help you with apartment building investing. Whether you're an active investor just starting out or looking to scale your syndication business or looking to invest passively, head over to themichaelblanc.com slash vault to gain access to our Freedom Vault.